Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Doing live, in-person events is off the table for a while, so in the meantime, here is our podcast series, The New Normal in California. We're looking at the ways our coronavirus-affected lives are changing over the short and long term, and talking with Californians who are making significant change in this new normal. This podcast is supported in part by Ellen Robinson, who is the executive producer for this episode, thanks to her generous cash contribution. If you too like what you hear and want to help us keep producing more of these, consider becoming an executive producer like Ellen and making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support California Groundbreakers link on our SoundCloud podcast page or on the Donate tab of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. In this episode, we're talking about the future of restaurants. Owners are anxious to reopen their dining rooms after nearly two months in lockdown, and they got their first concrete guidelines last week when Governor Gavin Newsom issued a 12-page document. The 99 new regulations covered everything from physical partitions to closed bars, dishwasher goggles, and table wait times, with customers waiting for those tables in their cars. How will these guidelines change the way restaurants look and operate? Will they guarantee safety and lower transmission risk of the coronavirus between staff and customers? How much will the new regulations raise restaurants' cost of business? And how much of those costs will be passed on to customers? And will those customers even be eating out again when they're allowed to? Join us for a conversation with Brad Chechi, chef of the Sacramento restaurant Canon, and Jot Condi, CEO of the California Restaurant Association, about what fine dining and eating out will look like in the new normal. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode nine of our podcast series, The New Normal in California. My name is Vanessa Richardson, and I'm executive director of California Groundbreakers. As we enter into the summer and California starts opening up and relaxing shutdown rules, we're going to focus now on what the new normal is starting to look like as we venture out of our homes and what the future, short-term future, long-term future will be for a lot of industries, a lot of topical issues, and a lot of relevant interests that matter to us. So one industry that does indeed matter a lot to California for both its foodies and its overall economy is the future of restaurants. The state of California recently issued a 12-page plan that outlines 99 rules and guidelines for restaurants to follow so they can seek customers once again for dining. And that will require restaurants to pay as much attention to cleaning and janitorial practices as they do to taste, plating, and their bottom line. It will require diners to trust that restaurants are following those practices, which means us going out to eat again. So what's the new normal for California restaurants? Are they ready to put up plexiglass shields and put their serving staff in masks and gloves? Are diners ready for that experience, especially if they want a fine dining experience? What is financially, both in revenues for restaurants and meal prices for customers? And how will this all impact the dining scene in your neighborhood? How many will close their doors? Which ones will be left standing? And how will going out to eat change both this summer, the rest of 2020, and beyond? 
So to tell us what to expect are two men who know the ins and outs of restaurants well, both figuratively and literally. We have Brad Chechi, who's chef at the restaurant Cannon in Sacramento, who was previously the executive chef at the Michelin-starred restaurant Soul Bar in Calistoga before coming back here to his hometown. So thanks, Brad, for joining us. Of course. It's good to be here. Thank you. And also joining us is Jock Condi. He is CEO of the California Restaurant Association. Thanks, Jock, for joining us, too. Thanks for having me. So, Brad, yes, I wanted to have you visualize for us what the restaurant will look like going forward with, you know, post, uh, post opening up, you know, based on what Jot was saying about those, those 12 pages, what does that look like it, at Canon, your restaurant, when you're going to be opening up again to let people uh, sit down and eat? So, yeah, we're the, the, the specifics of it, but, you know, we've, we've developed a seating plan with our tables that, um, you know, puts people uh, at least six feet apart, you know, from person to person. Um, you know, we're putting partitions between our booths so that we're able to use those. Um, nobody will be sitting at the bar. Uh, you know, our bartenders will only be making drinks for seated guests out in the dining room. Uh, we're fortunate at Canon, we have a large outdoor space about equal to the size of our indoor space. Um, so that already has some built-in partitions. So we're going to be able to use, um, use that. And, um, and recently, you know, uh, the city of Sacramento has kind of allowed, is going to allow some alfresco outside dining um, experiences as well. So uh, we have a parking lot that we are potentially going to use. Um, you know, our servers are going to be in masks and they, you know, um, they will wear gloves. We, you know, it's a busing at the table is going to be an interesting, uh, interesting thing. You know, we're going to do the kind of the dog poop method for with uh, bags and, and picking up people's napkins off the tables and tying them into, into you know, individually sealed bags to mitigate that risk. Um, yeah, everybody's going to be wearing masks. We have an open kitchen, so you're going to see a kitchen staff full of, you know, masks or a kitchen full of masked staff. Um, so there, there is a lot, but like Jot said, this is not um, something that restaurants are ill-equipped to manage. Um, it's in our DNA to adapt you know, and we, we do so fairly quickly. I mean, just look at how people adapted, you know, after, when they were forced to, to close their restaurants. Um, there's been a ton of different, different solutions that people have come up with. And, and I think that uh, restaurateurs and restaurant workers by, you know, by definition are, are some of the most malleable people out there. And around the state, John, I wanted to ask you, what does reopening look like right now in various parts of the state? I think there's been a lot of attention in the news about what counties have opened up first, what counties are, you know, rolling out later, uh, their guidelines. What do you see for restaurants uh, around, the spit, about, around the state in terms of uh, opening up for business, you know, in-house dining next month in, into the summer? And then also to add on to that, you know, the guidelines that for opening up, do you think they work for all types of restaurants, all sizes? It feels like, you know, smaller, more intimate restaurants may have a harder time uh, applying some of these rules, especially when it comes to social distancing and so forth, compared to, you know, a larger restaurant. So, yeah, opening up around the state and will the guidelines work in general? Yeah, uh, all, all um, uh, questions that we're getting the answers to as we speak. Uh, you know, there's, uh, of course, uh, probably another uh, podcast of yours is sort of the criteria and when will counties get to these sort of criteria that allow them or the sort of the, the, 
the uh, phase of phase two, I guess, where restaurants can open up dining rooms. There's 25, I think, and counting counties that have been approved to open up their dining rooms. So I'm talking to a lot of restaurateurs now who are, who are opening up this week and putting in all the measures they need to and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how, what that looks like. And of course, the X factor is, will the customers come? Will the guests show up in droves? Is there pent up demand? And what does that look like? Um, so they're sort of in a, in a hopeful stage right now, reaching out to staff. You know, you got to redeploy, you rehire your staff, uh, essentially retrain them to uh, the new um, measures that need to be in place. And again, um, like Brad and I, that's not going to hard for restaurant workers. Um, and then, of course, you have other counties, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Santa Clara, um, Riverside, Fresno, that are, that are still in their, uh, um, you know, in the phase where we don't know when that happened. And so I think restaurants are kind of looking to what's happening in Northern California to learn what are the challenges, what are the, um, you know, how will these uh, measures affect our are they coming? Um, and so in that right now, um, and then, you know, industries, the, you know, what secondary will thrive in this environment? And I think, you know, um, our industry, we have so many variations of the restaurant industry. There's uh, quick service, otherwise known as fast food. There's casual, there's fine dining, right? All these different segments of the industry. And the ones that, um, you know, let's say we're doing, you know, 40% delivery pickup, um, you know, to go like a, a fast casual restaurant, Chipotle comes to mind, that kind of, um, you know, business model. They're, they're welcomed to do, to do better than, you know, others, uh, you know, as we, you know, enter further into the opening up phase. And then you have, you know, of California restaurants that, uh, pre that did really well San Francisco, Santa Monica, San Diego, areas that rely heavily on tourism um, and, and a visitor, um, where the rents are really high. I mean, you know, along Ocean Avenue in Santa Monica or in the gas lamp in San Diego, you have super high rents, um, but historically they had the volume uh, and the traffic to pay for that. So uh, interestingly, that's the segment or at least the, the, the regions um, of California where the restaurants are going to struggle the most. Is they're 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 sitting on these super high rents where some forty thousand dollars a month, yet their customer traffic is at thirty percent what it was pre-COVID levels, and so the economics uh, don't work out for them, and so it you know and and then and if you get into kind of fine dining, um, you know uh, establishments that are in, in let's say the financial districts and parts of the large metropolitan centers that rely on um, a lot of a business office business that's you know um the office environment is going to change the the restaurant environment too so specialty restaurants uh, just announced they're not opening back up and they're a large uh, they have been a successful company but because they're in these financial districts and they cater to these office buildings and because a lot of these people in these office buildings are going to be not showing up as quick to the office a lot of um you know of folks staying from home Stagger schedules. There's not going to be a lot of office gatherings and catered office 
events. So that segment of our industry is going to suffer mightily. I, I think I just gave you a monologue. There's so many variations to what the industry looks like, where there's going to be success based on the region, um, based on cost, and based on the segment uh, of the industry. You know, and, and something that came to mind uh, when you were talking about that, John, a question for both of you is, you know, how how friendly are the landlords, you know, in terms of rent? Are they giving restaurants a break? Uh, I mean, Brad, I was going to ask you, I don't know if, if uh, Canon owns its own building, but if you don't, you know, how do you, uh, how do you negotiate, you know, going forward with, um, with leases and then John also with the restaurants in your association, um, how is that working out? Are there deals being made? So Brad, I, let me start with you first about that one. Yeah, um, we, we don't own our building. We, um, we luckily do have a, an independent landlord. So not necessarily somebody that owns a lot of, of commercial space. And so um, we have a very good relationship with them. They're obviously, you know, every, every landlord who has a building that has a restaurant is heavily invested into the into that restaurant as well. They, they own a restaurant. It's not really a valuable space for, for something else. So, you know, the, the people that, that, in my experience, that there is, um, you know, there has been a, a back and forth and we have been helped, helped along um, by our landlord. Um, but that's for now why we're closed. Um, you know, at the end of the day, our business has to be a viable business. And, you know, that goodwill or that, mortgage and and we're going to have to do enough volume in business so that we can pay our employees and ourselves and and have a have a profitable business so um i think that that comes along with a lot of hard work and and working as a as a team but as far as you know the the other you know places in the industry there i think it's a it's a situation by situation kind of relationship and you know we've been fortunate to have somebody working with us that is great but um, you know, there there will also be for every restaurant that closes down, there will also be a kind of reshuffling of how those leases. And and Jot may know a little more about that uh, than I do, um, but you know there there are certain formats of leases that have to do with restaurants, whether it's percentage rents or lower base rents and things like that 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 make them a little more nuanced that could help restaurants really survive. But at the end of the day, the, the landlord's got to pay their mortgage, right? So, Yeah, so John, what about, what, what about that? Is that a big concern or a big issue of discussion right now with your restaurants? It's huge. It's the number, it's probably the, the number one issue the industry is dealing with now. I mean, you have these fixed costs that, um, uh, that w- the world was different uh, and, and uh, lease uh, contracts uh, were negotiated in a very different world. Um, and a lot of these restaurateurs, um, are, I, I think very early on, many of them, most of them had been reaching out and communicating with their, with their landlords about, you know, what, you know, what, what can we do? Can we work something out? And, you know, and the property owners, the commercial property owners or restaurant industry, there's so many different kinds. You know, like Brad said, you have some that are property owners that you're sort of invested in the community, they're here, and then you have institutional sort of commercial property uh, concerns that are um, of shareholders and, and may be in a better position to renegotiate some of these, the, the terms of a, of a lease agreement, understanding that, you know, in the old days, if you lost a restaurant, there was likely another restaurateur that was willing to come in and occupy that space. That's not going to be the case 
you know, and I think many of them know that. So it's in their best interest to keep that, that space occupied. And, um, and, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're likely to see policies um, discussed in the legislature that address this issue to figure out how do you stabilize some of these um, all independent restaurants or any restaurant, you know, they afford these expensive and, you know, and you have landlords are willing to negotiate and work on working those contracts. And then there, there are other landlords that basically say, no, we can't, we can't give you a break. I think like Brad said, there are some land, uh, property owners that own a piece of pro one piece of property um, and, and need that uh, rental income uh, so they can make their house payment. Um, and so uh, the dynamic is very different depending on where you are and the, the type of property owner you have. But yes, there's lots of discussions going on. Uh, that would be the number, I think the number one issue for most restaurant operators, especially ones dealing in um, super expensive regions like San Francisco, um, you know, Southern California, West LA. All right, so we had some, some questions I asked. Um, people on our social media channels, like what questions that they wanted to ask both of you. And a few that came in were pretty much, a, you know, safety concerns that they had. So here's one question from Sean Wood, who asked, what steps do you think will be most vital in reducing risk of transmission between guests and staff as they interact throughout, throughout the service in a sit-down environment? This seems to be the largest problem, but the least addressed. And the best I've heard so far are temperature checks. But that does little to address uh, uh, the asympto asymptotic spread, which is the most dangerous element of this virus. So I think, yeah, Brad, what is what um, steps are you taking now to reduce reduce risk of transmission between guests and staff? Well, right now we don't allow any any guests into the restaurant. So even though we're doing curbside, like it's it's very much curbside. They pull up in their car, they call, we bring the food out. Our staff is going out there in masks and gloves, um, and and you know we're even encouraging people to just pop their trunk and we drop it in there. That you know that is going to be what we do now. But then as soon as we allow guests in our restaurant, we're going to have to you know be safe. You know, mat masks are are going to be important. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's hand washing that is going to you know really protect our employees and protect our guests. Um, temperature checks are, are good, but like you said, if it's an asymptomatic person, like the, that may not be totally valid. So, um, you know, uh, I think an open dialogue too, when we, you know, we script our host to say like, welcome to the Canon. How are you feeling tonight? Um, and, and just, you know, things that try to smooth, smooth that over and, and create a relationship that's, that's open and honest, I think, and on everybody's part. Um, but you know, and then there's the enforcement. I mean, I, if someone walks in and they have a hundred degree temperature, what I have to ask them to leave. Right. And so that is not, that goes against every, you know, bone in, in somebody's body who is a, a professional in hospitality. And, and that is going to be something that we have to, you know, kind of, those are the things that we're going to have to really drill down on because um, it's, as long as we're being safe, we're taking, temperature logs of our staff, you know, they do take their temperature when they come to work. We write it down. We ask everybody how they're feeling. There's a lot of hand washing. We're all, even though there's no guests in the restaurant, we're all wearing masks when we're even within, you know, six feet of each other. I'm out on the patio by myself right now. So I'm not, I'm not doing that, but inside everybody that's working right now is all wearing masks. 
Um, and, and, and so, you know, we just have to have to be, I think, honest about everybody's got to feel that way. If they don't feel good, they shouldn't go out to a restaurant. And if my staff doesn't feel good, then they shouldn't come to work. And, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be, um, a learning curve, I think, and all of that for us to get comfortable with those, those, I'm sorry that you have a hundred degree temperature, but I can't have you in the space tonight. That's, that's a real thing. So. Or someone coughing just a lot, you know? And, right. Yeah. Well, and it's allergy season, right? If they're sniffling or sneezing and like it's, there's all of these things. And, and so it is, it does have to be, um, you know, something that we all are conscious of. Yeah. And that reminds me, I'm going to ask you this question too, Jop, but this, uh, when I was researching the questions to ask, I, I was reading a Sacramento Bee article. I bet you two saw this. Um, a a first-person uh, account of eating in a restaurant that was opened up for business, I think in Placer County. And the reporter gave this first-person uh, experience about what's it like to eat in a restaurant now. And, you know, the pluses, the minuses, what they did well, what they did not so well and could improve. It was really, you know, everyone is... It, it was a mixture of emotions like, you know, I'm glad to eat out versus like, oh my God, that person's less than six feet away. So Jot, in terms of, you know, restaurants that are open now and what you're advising restaurants uh, to do, especially with this question that Sean had about the, you know, staff, guests, reducing the risk of transmission. Yeah. Well, I would, um, you have kind of these, uh, these visual cues that most customers and guests are going to see when they go into a restaurant and are they, you know, are there face masks? You know, I, I see that they're, they're do, taking through there. Uh, uh, but all other um, elements in these guidelines issued state, all 12 pages, almost, almost all of it really is, is um, intended to address, right, that, that that risk of uh, transmitting, you know, uh, transmission amongst asymptomatic individuals, this thing, um, constant sanitizing of high touch areas, off, you know, uh, sanitizing, um, you know, menus. If uh, if you don't have paper menus, all of those measures are really intended to address that, you know, because that's the the, the part. Someone may not have a temperature. I guess a temperature may be a percentage of those that have the virus, but there's a, a certain percentage I would imagine that don't have a temperature. So a temperature check isn't going to, you know, uh, address that issue. And so it's, it's the, the, the cleanliness standards, the social distancing, so the partition between, um, you know, booths or tables, uh, yeah, the outdoor dining, those are all, um, those are all important sort of steps that are meant to address the asymptomatic spread. Hi, this is Caleb Clark executive producer of California Groundbreakers Podcasts. We're working on more New Normal in California podcasts literally as I speak, but putting them together takes a fair amount of time and money. If you like what you're hearing in this episode and you want to hear more of them, you can help us in two ways. First, consider being a Groundbreaker supporter right now by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support California Groundbreakers box on our SoundCloud podcast page or on the Donate tab of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. 
Another question here, it's connected to it. It comes from uh, Sarah Richard Newsom. Actually, she had a comment, but it, it, I thought I would turn this into a question. And so she says, I had, I had an exposure at my job because there was a record of all appointments that day that I could, I could source trace 98% of people that may have been exposed. In a hospitality establishment, un unless everyone that enters is by reservation, you can never achieve a proper source control investigation, nor notify anyone of a possible exposure. That is vital and key to decreasing further infection. So it did make me think, have you thought about this, Brad, for your restaurant and other restaurants um, that the association represents about, you know, reservation only, and in terms of, you know, tracking, um, helping with tracking um, and liability, are there, are taking reservations um, one way of doing that? Um, what are your thoughts on what she recommended there? Well, our thought at Canon, I mean, you know, nowadays we have, there's a lot of technology at restaurants disposals as it is, whether you're using open table or talk or resi, all of these systems, um, you know, yes, reservations are going to be preferable. We, uh, for the restaurant in too, we're going to want to know how many guests we have coming in and we want to know how to plot them so that there is a, a good amount of social distancing and things like that. But for walk-in guests, you know, the technology does allow us to gather that information on a walk-in basis. So, you know, we, we have talked through us through and, and we will just have to require that people at least submit their name and, and uh, upon being sat, you know, and that, that just goes back. But there is, there is a whole political part of that too, that, that, um, you know, people might not want that. Uh, and so, uh, that goes back to the hospitality part of it and, and deciding drawing the line about how we feel about that, you know? And so, um, you know, and as far as liability goes, I, I you know, we are concerned about uh, the liability of, of somebody sick being in the restaurant, but I, I'm not totally up to speed on the legalities of that either. Um, whether it's uh, puts us liable for our guests in that situation. Um, and so, you know, we, uh, we have considered it and we're, we're going to use the technology we have um, at our disposal to kind of uh, mitigate some of that. We've, we've looked into, you know, we're going to have partitioned host stands. We're going to have all of that. Um, we're looking at developing QR codes for people's phones so that we don't even have to circulate a menu. We'll just have a QR code, you know, on the end of the table. They can scan it with their phone and our menu will pop up on their phone. Um, that way we don't even have to, you know, worry about menus. We'll just update it digitally and, and they'll be able to, you know, to do that. Um, and, and our staff will be trained about how to, you know, walk people through that process too. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of things to think about. John, what about you? What is the, what's the association stance? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, I spend um, every other morning on a phone call with all of my counterparts in other parts of the country who represent the restaurant industry in Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, Alaska been really helpful to just sort of see the policies that because many of these states have opened up weeks ago and just to hear you know what's what are they seeing in terms of customer reactions you know the safety measures there comparing sort of the, the different re state responses um, in Washington which was certainly one of the first states the hardest hit um, uh, with uh, with the, the virus had uh, several weeks back, uh, the governor had enacted a policy that would require restaurants that open to um, get the information, the data on all, all customers or contact information. So in the event there was, 
you know, a new sort of hotspot that tracers would be able to ask someone, where did you go in the restaurant? You know, uh, what day did you go? They just go to the restaurant and say, we need a list of all those people so we can trace them and let them know they may have been exposed. Uh, the governor just, you know, sort of reversed or ch adjusted that policy, I, I believe, uh, a few days, because of the concern, the privacy concerns. And here in California, it's a body of privacy laws that, that I, I, I believe would be challenging for restaurants to keep that information. But I think, like Brad said, there are systems in place that are pretty common industry, you know, reservation systems and all these new technologies that are running that, um, and then the requirement to, you know, to, that counties will encourage people to call ahead of time, don't be milling around in the restaurant while you're waiting for a table. Restaurants, like Brad said, are nimble and will adapt um, and make it work. But because of because of some of those legacy, uh, you know, systems, whether it's Resi or Open Table, that data does have uh, formations because someone needs to leave a name and a number for us to reach out to. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I even answered your question, Vanessa, so sorry. I think the questions, I think many of these questions are still to be answered, right, within the next yeah. few days, months, years, which is why we're having this podcast. Um, so yeah, in terms of all the, the, the new, the current and new safety guidelines um, that you'll be following, uh, comparing that with the, the vibe, right, the scene, the mood of dining in a restaurant, especially fine dining. My parents love to eat out and they can't wait. But my dad, um, who is, he's a, you know, high risk and he, he's, uh, but he's also, he loves, he can't wait. He is saying, why would I go out to a fine dining experience to celebrate, you know, getting out of the house when everyone around me is going to be in masks and gloves and I'll feel like I'm in a hospital. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, do you have a do you hear that? Do you have um, your own thoughts about um, what fine dining experiences or just eating out in general is going to be like? And how do you convince customers uh, to come out again? I, I think many of us are going to want to come out and, you know, support our local restaurant. But after the first or second time, you know, if this keeps going on, will they keep coming back when maybe the, the, the vibe is different? Brad? Yeah, so um, I, I think that, you know, the jovial nature of restaurants is something that people want to experience. And the reason that they like to go out and eat and they like to go out and celebrate is that they get to break bread with people. They get to, you know, interact with people, um, which is something that everybody is, is starved for. Um, you know, and then from, from a service perspective, you're also, there's, there's a ton of adaptability there, right? Like not our servers are not going to be in cold surgical masks, right? Like there are all these people making masks at home. There are tons of options out there right now for, for us to create kind of a, a, a more signature style vibe, you know, to, to kind of create something that is, is, that makes people feel a little more, you know, comfortable and not as, as stuffy and cold. Um, you know, and, and we owe it to them to provide them with that kind of hospitality and to, to be, transparent with them and, and hope that they, they do the same for us. So like the mask will match the decor yeah, uh, the or, color the, or, the, or the servers, you know, shirt or 
you know, uh, at Canon, we don't necessarily have, we have um, uniform guidelines, but not a standardized uniform. So, you know, uh, a lot of the time they'll probably just, uh, you know, be safe with their masks and, 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 but maybe stylize them up a little bit, you know? John, what about you in terms of, um, you know, people who want to find any experience and what type of experience, um, they're going to have, uh, how, how will restaurants accommodate that and, and uh, account, you know, make it work? Yeah. Uh, we, we, we don't, we don't know for sure. Right. Cause I think anyone that says that they know exactly how this is going to unfold and what the, what the world's going to look like. Right. They're probably not telling you the truth because none of us really know. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of talk restaurants reopening. I think Brad could probably attest to this, that most restaurateurs that are, reopening whatever phase they're in in what county um it's like they're a, a whole bunch of startups not just a restaurant they're trying to figure out the new normal it's a new marketplace consumer demand preferences all those things the expectations will be different i think you know fine dining is going to take you know the white tablecloth restaurants and you know um many many parts of our you know california and certainly in our metropolitan centers are the, um, the experience is going to be different. I mean, will someone really be drawn out for that celebratory, like Brad said, uh, people will show up to a restaurant to do the opposite of social distancing, right? They want to be around and uh, friends and family and celebrate. Um, and can you uh, create that kind of an atmosphere while servers are wearing face masks? I think Brad's right on. Uh, restaurants will adapt. They will uh, adjust, make the experience uh, still an experience. So, I mean, in the end, as Brad knows, the chefs, the food's going to be just as great. And I think that's going to draw people out. Um, and the structure is going to be different. Um, you know, we're talking about Costco dining. You're seeing um, in Sacramento, um, I was talking to Mayor Coors of Palm Springs a few days ago. He said, yeah, we're blocking down streets. We're already planning that. So the dining experience will be uh, different all around. I think the consumers will uh, get used to it, and I think they will come to expect it. Because uh, um, I think you know you're going to have these, um, for lack of a better term, aggressive diners that are, have this pent up demand. When the lid is lifted, they're going out and they're eating, uh, and they're going to observe. Is it? Do I feel safe? And I and I think that um, they will. Uh, but then you're going to have that customer that's going to be a little timid about going. Um, and they're going to wait and see sort of what that experience looks like. Talk to somebody else. What, what was it like? So we're, when we, we see these regions where restaurants have opened up in other states for a while, um, it's been slow. The bounce back has been slow. Every week it gets busier and busier, but people are just sort of testing the waters. Um, and they will come to expect uh, that that dining will be different. Um, and you know, it gets to sort of enforcement too. Um, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of enforcement and certainly restaurants are enforced uh, rigorously by health departments and they will continue to be. Uh, but I think any restaurant here, you know, these, the safe practices amongst their employees or amongst the customers will be certainly the random inspections by health departments will uncover that, but you know, likely enforcement will encourage social media. <laughs> You know, where people take pictures and, you know, and certainly um, if somebody sees something uh, in any place of business, but certainly in a restaurant, um, they, uh, people understand, call the health department and nobody responds quicker than a health department if, uh, <laughs> if there's a call from a 
customer. So public shame will be uh, will come out for this in some ways. Yeah. Okay. All right. California is uh, famous or infamous for business costs and the cost of uh, doing business. And I'm, I'm sure restaurant, you know, we all know how restaurants have a lot of costs, a lot of rules and regulations. And then uh, now post-pandemic, there, there will be more. And obviously, uh, someone has to pay. <laughs> the restaurants will have to pay for more, you know, the plexiglass shields and the masks and the gloves. Uh, and probably the customers will have to pay too. Uh, I am wondering in terms of cost and where you're looking um, to change things. For you, Brad, this question's for you, but John, if you want to chime in here also, you can. You know, will the menu change? Um, obviously, there's right now a lot of headlines about food food chain, uh, supply chain shortages, you know, meat and pork, and maybe the costs are going up. So will that affect how you um, put together your menu when when in in um, when dining starts again? Um, and then also with the cost of, of, of doing business now, do, should we be prepared as diners uh, to pay more uh, when we go out to eat? So Brad, I'll start with you and then John, you can chime in if you like. Um, yeah, with supply, you know, the supply chain issues, that's definitely a big one that we're working through um, every day. Uh, what I, you know, what I guess I'll say is that it will require a little more creativity. I think we'll see less, you know, grilled ribeyes and pork chops uh, uh, because the price of them will go up. I think it'll we'll have a little more um, some secondary cuts and things like that. We'll see on menus, but then um, you know we. You know, we fortunately in California, especially, have a uh, abundance of, of vegetables and, and locally grown produce and things like that. So, I think we'll see the kind of meat centric dining maybe pivot a little bit to be a little more vegetable driven um, in order to kind of contemplate those supply chains, and that will hopefully keep the pricing from shooting way up um, for most places. Although. Like you said, there is going to be an additional cost of doing business. And so I, I think it's important for, you know, and it's been that way. You know, we had minimum wage increases over the last few years in restaurants. You know, that that cost is being shared across the board by everybody, whether it's through, you know, uh, our vendors and our wholesale pricing coming down and getting things getting more expensive um, and to, to, you know, our cost of labor being higher. And and I think guests are already seeing what that effect ha is having on, on restaurant pricing. And, you know, things will, will have to change in order for restaurants to, to continue to survive. I mean, we've, we've covered a lot about all of those things, whether it's your rent, but now your, our, the cost of food is going up. And, the, you know, but we will see an interesting dynamic is, you know, when you buy from local, right, you shorten that supply chain um, that, that mitigates the price increase. Right. And then um, buying, you know, we're seeing like sustainably raised port, right. From our local farmers, which used to be at a, at a premium price, that Delta between commodity pork or commodity beef and local beef and local pork is starting to shrink a little bit. That price, that price is now closer together. And so um, I think that people will see it in their grocery stores and they'll see it in their restaurants. But um, you know, in order to keep that price, you know where it is i think you know we have to shorten that supply chain a little bit too so truly eating local is in our find our best financial interest absolutely then. yeah interesting 
Jot, uh, what about you? How do you want to prepare us financially? Yeah, I, th I think Brad, Brad hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, and it, it just varies by region, um, you know, in California on sort of what you're going to see in terms of the cost. I mean, certainly before this all happened, the cost of a hamburger in San Francisco was different than the cost of a hamburger in, let's say, um, Fresno. Um, um, yeah, I, I mean, the industry, the, the, the margins in the industry are, are uh, very no, notoriously slim. Three to five percent is the average pro profit margin for a restaurant. So there's not a lot of, and yeah, there's going to see a lot of menu design, a menu, sort of creative menu development um, to try to, um, you know, keep those costs as low as possible. A lot of it depends, again, on, on sort of a restaurant's ability to lower costs, rent, um, rework re, uh, something with your landlord. Um, some parts of California have wages that are local minimum wages. The Bay Area, for example, has, you know, uh, 21, county, uh, 21 cities in the Bay Area that have a uh, like a, a minimum wage that, that's higher than California's and goes up at a faster rate. Um, some are north of $16 an hour. Um, and many of them, probably a half a dozen or so cities area are scheduled to raise their minimum wage this July. A lot of them have, have postponed that scheduled wage hike because they understand we need to get these, we need to keep these businesses healthy. There needs to be a, a place for our employees to go back to. And so you see local governments making some of those, some of those adjustments. But to answer your question, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, restaurateurs know that the consumer is, the, the pro, has a, a price point that they're not willing to go beyond. And I think you're going to see a lot of restaurants testing the waters and um, trying to keep those costs down as much as possible. Yeah, and that leads into my, my next question about, uh, you know, there's been so many um, headlines or maybe predictions about, you know, the dining scene um, is going to look different going forward. I mean, like you, Jot had mentioned specialties, the restaurant, the, the chain that had, uh, that was going out of business immediately and a restaurant today in the Sacramento Bee, uh, they noted that a, a restaurant in Auburn, just up the hill from Sacramento was closing down after less than a year. It just couldn't do it. Um, on my block where I work in Midtown Sacramento, um, we're down the street from uh, Biba, this famous Italian restaurant that's been around for decades and they closed. Um, a few blocks away is Burger Patch, which is a um, um, meatless meat uh, fast food joint. I, I think I don't think Impossible Burger, but Beyond Meat. That's right. Packed. There's always people waiting out front to get their meals at curbside. And I was talking to the owner, and they said they're they're doing as great as they were where they started. So obviously there is shifting around, and maybe some types of restaurants, some types of formats are going to work better in the short term and the long term, and some. Uh, maybe won't adapt, but I'm just wondering, you know, what's your take, both of you, on terms of what kind of restaurant will will get by, will even thrive in this new normal, and what uh, types of restaurant concepts uh, or themes or whatever, cuisine, um, uh, will need to pivot or change altogether before they go obsolete? Who would like to start? I can start. Okay, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I own a restaurant that is a, is a sit down um, dining restaurant. And so, yeah, we're a little, a little scared, but also, um, you know, we are in a neighborhood and, and 
Um, we, like I said before, our landlord has been very, um, you know, able to work with us. So we're pretty confident in, in how we can, um, develop something that, that continues to, to have, have customers. Um, you know, I think, uh, curbside is definitely here to stay. Um, you know, we have also kind of jumped into, um, at least in the short term, some, some kind of, uh, uh philanthropy, whether it is the, the governor's great plates program and things like that. So doing as much, it's a, it's much more of a grind, right? I, I, I no longer have a dinner only restaurant that opens up five and closes at nine and it's you know it's only open for four hours a day um i have now a curbside and a catering company and a uh a dinner house and a and and all the things and so um there's the grind component of that as far as restaurants that do that are going to excel i think um it's about finding a way to create the buzz of a restaurant that a restaurant has always had whether it's with creativity or um, presentation or hospitality, all those things are still going to be things that people seek out in the restaurant business. It's just where they eat it, right? How, how do they eat it? Are they taking it to go? Are they eating it far apart from each other? Are they, you know, is it in hand and they can walk down the street? Like there, there are all of those things that, that are going to matter. And I think that we'll wait to see a little bit about how the, the dining community bounces back um, before we really cannibalize our, our concept to, to pivot ahead of that. Is it, is it, um, how do you feel about this going forward in terms of diversifying? Is it exciting? Or are you just like, uh, you know, like, would you do this if you wanted to start a restaurant now? Uh, if you had oh, well, hopes I mean, and I, dreams, would you? I definitely would not be opening a restaurant now. That's, that's <laughs> not a, that's not a thing. But, um, but you know, the, the grind the, is something that, like, I think I'm, I'm excited by um, because it is something new to do every day. Um, do I miss, you know, it was funny, early on in this process, I missed seeing my restaurant full of people. I missed having 150 people sitting down for dinner on a Saturday night and being able to talk to people at tables and run drinks and, and, and expo the kitchen staff on a, on a busy night that rush. I miss all of those things. Um, but then as we went later on in this process, there's also the, the thought of, of having that restaurant full of people and how, how I would feel about that. So, um, you know, I, I think that we, uh, we'll, we'll kind of wait and see. I mean, it's, it's all up in the air. John, what do you, what do you think? I guess the crystal ball question for you, what will stand, what will go, how are things going to change, um, for restaurants to stay alive. Yeah, I think Brad said it, he said it uh, well. If he was given the choice to, to open up a restaurant now, would he be willing to do it? I think the answer is no. Most are just trying to figure out how to make their their existing operations, you know, uh, profitable. The landscape definitely is going to change. I mean, you know, you're going to see a thinning of the herd uh, in in the restaurants. Um, the days of the ten thousand square foot restaurant. Uh, a full service restaurant are probably gone for uh, new new restaurants like that. Um, you know the restaurants that are best positioned to thrive out of this, or like I said earlier, that have uh, sort of a uh, an infrastructure, uh, you know, a to go heavy to go pick up delivery. Uh, they have food that travels well. Uh, a lot of ethnic foods too, Chinese food. Um, 
you know, so you're going to, you're going to see uh, the restaurants that, um, you know, like Brad had said, no, nobody is, there's no more creative uh, entrepreneur than a restaurant. You know, they can pivot and, and act quickly. Um, and you have these restaurants that were, you know, would be considered fine dining table service restaurants that have figured out they can create a, sort of a make shift drive through in the parking lot and promote their menu uh, fast fine food. So it's not fast casual or fast food, it's fast fine food. And are doing that. So you're going to see a lot of creative restaurateurs adjust their business model. Certainly you're going to see a lot of restaurants not open up again. Um, and a lot of that creativity is allowed by local governments who are going to allow restaurants to use parking lots and sidewalks and streets to, to adjust their business model. You're going to see uh, more restaurants, uh, more drive-throughs. You never thought I'd say this, but you're going to see a lot of restaurants um, add drive-throughs to their operations. And, you know, a lot of city governments that, um, and you know, people that live in communities didn't like the concept of a drive-through. I think now you're going to see a resurgence of that particular in Southern California. Um, so yeah, the landscape's going to look different. Um, but I think you have a lot of restaurateurs and restaurant owners like Brad, who to be challenged are up to the challenge. They're all in the startup business now. Um, and a lot of this will be driven by the consumers, how they, how they act, you know, their preferences. Um, and you'll li likely see, uh, you know, in, in many of the high rent uh, metropolitan centers, you know, high density cities, you know, a lot of empty storefronts for a while until those, um, you know, those rents become more uh, affordable to restaurateurs. As soon as the landlords have to, you know, adjust the market rate for what they're charging, you're likely to see kind of a, a period where there's not a lot of new restaurants, but hopefully in a year and a half to two years, you see people going, all right, I can operate a restaurant profitably. It's less expensive in San Francisco than it was, you know, pre, pre COVID. Um, so there's going to be some, some adjustments that I think that are probably to long-term um, and some conditions that will actually be beneficial for people to open up restaurants. So my last question then ties into that, but I guess it's for um, what you will address to people who have been, you know, at home for two months cooking and they can't wait to go out, but they have concerns. Uh, I was, I've been reading history and, you know, obviously we've had a few pandemics in, in the past few hundreds of uh, years and over the centuries and restaurants, I believe, don't quote me on this, maybe one of you know, us, uh, started in France in like the 1600s. So 400 years, if not more of restaurants. So they still keep going. So what do you want people to remember about, you know, why restaurants uh, have lasted so long? What makes them places that people will go to? And even with this new normal that we're entering into, um, what will be a change for the better? I mean, you've already talked about this, but really just, you know, what will change for the better and what will uh, stay because it just, that's, that's how it is with restaurants. Um, and to, you know, encourage people to, you know, to go out and eat and, and feel like, you know, they're not just, you know, supporting you guys financially, but just, you know, with well-being. I know that's like the existential question I have here. But uh, yeah, what, what, basically, what would you boil it down to? Why should we visit restaurants, uh, you know, now and always? What's the most significant thing? Brad. 
Um, you know, I, I think I said it earlier. I think restaurants are a place for community to get together and, and break bread over a meal and, and to, you know, be out and see and be seen and, and all those things. And I think that that is an, an innate human trait, right? That they're, they're, they're going to want that. Um, I think that the, the opportunity that's come from this is, is a, an opportunity for creativity, um, an opportunity for uh, the thinning of the herd for people who do excel in this um, scenario to, to continue to excel, I think, throughout um, after this kind of settles down in the next year or two. Um, you know, and I, I do feel that, like, uh, like Jot said earlier, that, that um, you know, restaurants are, are nimble and they'll find a way and, and, and you know, we'll make people feel, feel safe. They are a highly, we're a highly regulated industry already for cleanliness and safety. And so um, we're going to continue to play by those rules and, and, and even in accentuate it uh, to the next level. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, restaurants uh, have to adapt, you know, that, that's, that's the way that it is. And Jot, last word. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree with Brad, and I appreciate your, uh, you know, your uh, historical take because it's uh, very fitting that, uh, yeah, the first restaurant, the word restaurant, was derived from uh, um, in France uh, in the umpteen years ago, and and it uh, means restore to restore. Um, and it was a gentleman who was selling uh, soup in France and would sort of ask people, let people come in and he'd feed them soup to restore them in their spirit. And I think that's uh, a, a critical role that we will play for every community in California. I think, you know, we're, you know, I could go on forever about this, but, you know, we are the social fabric, the community fabric of mo uh, that keeps that, that fabric glued together in most communities. We're, you get into high density areas where the sort of community living rooms for, for many cities. And, um, and like Brad said, it's sort of human nature. You want to be amongst other people. Um, and restaurants are the, the place to do. Um, and so many, there's so many uh, facets to our industry that are so important to our communities, not just e connected to their communities, get back to their communities, um, and certainly generate the tax revenue that city. Um, we were, uh, before, before COVID-19 hit, we were the largest generator of sales tax in the state of California. My hope is that we'll get back there someday, but we're uh, economically significant um, and socially significant um, on many different fronts. And I think that, you know, for those that are um, really hesitant to come back, and dine in a restaurant, like Brad and I talked about earlier, our industry uh, really is uh, trained in this space, and it, it, it is in our DNA, and sanitation standards and cleanliness and the certification of every employee, I mean, I think we're ready to meet that challenge. I think we will go above and beyond that um, to make the customers feel safe uh, when, when the economy fully reopens. Well, I think I speak for many people when I can't wait to go out and have a good meal and masks and gloves aside, uh, I'm, I'm ready to go out and eat and let someone else do the cooking. So uh, thank you, Brad. Thank you, Jot. Um, rooting for uh, Canon, rooting for the restaurants that you represent, Jot. Um, thank you both again for your time. And um, we'll, uh, we'll see you in your dining room shortly.
Thank you for having us. Great. Thank you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. This episode of The New Normal in California with Brad Chechi and Jot Condi was recorded on May 18th, 2020. Thanks to both men for taking the time to talk with us. Special thanks to our generous donor, Ellen Robinson, who funded the production of this episode. Always, thanks to Caleb Clark at Kickstart Audio for recording and producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you find our podcasts worth listening to in these difficult times, consider making a donation and supporting our efforts to produce more informative, inspiring conversations about how Californians are coping with a new normal. You can do that, as well as keep tabs on upcoming podcast episodes, our live events, whenever it's safe to do them again, and other information about us by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.